Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Um, we've, had, we've, got, we've got some uh, massive complaints that have been coming in lately, some big complaints. And most of the complaints have been coming to my inbox in the complaints, or at least to my face anyways, and people have been coming up saying, uh, I've been coming to this church for years, and now everyone's asking me, oh, is this your first time here? I've never met you before. Is this your f-? And I'm like, that's actually a really good problem to have. And it's a really common problem that's happening now because over the past, over this summer, there's been a stack of people joining and moving to the area and people kind of finding faith for the first time. And so this is kind of a problem we just have to get used to, which is a good problem to have. And so um, Connect Groups is one of the real practical ways that we try and make a, uh, a big church feel um, smaller. So you've got your people. So if you've joined us recently, if you're new, or maybe you feel like you're part of the furniture here and you kind of feel like you're the old furniture getting pushed to the back, I want you to push to the front again and find a way to get in community. And the reason it's also important is funnily enough about what this series is. And uh, if this is your, again, first time joining us at Suncoast or maybe first time ever in church, my name is Jono and I'm, I'm pastor here with my wife, Chloe. And we started hearing, we all together corporately started hearing the stats um, following the changes that the whole world experienced last year about, in, for lack of a better term, people's mental well-being and how uh, a lot of the things we've lost, uh, things that have gotten out of our control, out of our care, um, with all the rapid changes and the uncertainty of the world, uh, the stats of people's well-being, mental well-being going downhill incredibly fast is quite overwhelming. And we decided we wanted to just play our part and do something about it. And obviously being in community is one thing. Being in a small group, a connect group is super helpful. Um, but we also wanted to talk directly into this. And over the past couple of months, we've had a few people uh, kind of rant, you know, sporadically speaking, but we wanted to do a whole series where we look at it from different angles. And you might remember uh, in December, Dave Adamson or Aussie Dave, as he's affectionately known, I like to call him Worldwide Dave or Global Dave. Um, that's a joke, in joke, shouldn't have used it. But uh, he shared, he touched on the part of his story. He'll be sharing again next week, which I'm super, super excited about. And the following week, we have Dr. Um, Chris Moller, who I'll be interviewing about how to actually take care of ourselves, our mental health, which is a big deal. But this is my chance to kind of speak just a little, a little bit into it tonight. So buckle up. I want you to imagine for a moment that this box here is your life. And over the course of my life and of your life, we will begin to fill this box up ultimately with things that we hope make us happy. And so these aren't radical, these aren't new ideas, we all experience them. So maybe you start, I don't know, you focus on your career, you get your degree, and hopefully with your degree, you're going to get the career you want and dream. It's like, that's like my dream goal, that's my dream career. You want to start a business, own your own business, or climb to the top of some organization, or whatever it might be. And so you get that established, and that feels really good. And as you start earning the big bucks and start getting the dough in and the money in, you're like, then I want to kind of like buy my dream house. Like the, that's what I'm dreaming of. I want to start a family and have kids. And so you start adding more things that make you happy into the box of your life. And so kids come along and then you want to get a bigger house. And this is really cool. And then beyond that, you're like, I also want some toys. Now, again, these aren't bad things. These are like cool things and the things we get blessed with. And in our nation, and our culture, the cool things that we can aspire to have and actually get. And so it's like, well, I want to get my car now. My dream car. I'm sick of driving around something from 1986 anymore. And so I want to get something fresh and new. I want to get a new toy, maybe a new boat. Um, and then it's like, well, you have your travel goals. And so I want to tra- travel. What used to be our goals we want to have is to travel. Best we can do now is, I don't know, Adelaide, well, Canberra, Broome. 
I don't know, wherever people like travel these days. Um, hopefully the bubble with New Zealand will open up. I feel sorry for New Zealand when that bubble opens up, man. There's going to be more Australians in New Zealand than Kiwis. Probably already is. Um, and so, so we go about the course of our life, don't we? And we'll fill our lives with all, these, all this stuff that makes us happy. Now, I don't, not gonna, I'm not aim tonight not to criticize any of that, but just to highlight it because at the end of our life, we will have a life filled with stuff and things that we pursued and chased after and purchased and bought and saved for and have taken and have chased down. And you'll have a whole ton of great memories and great stuff. But my question I want to ask you tonight and the question I'm asking myself is what will all this say about my life? And what will it say about your life? And when you look back over the course of your life, you look back and say, that's the stuff that actually truly made me happy. And if you were to get to the end of your life and look back and talk to the young you, what advice would you pass on to the young you about what truly makes you happy? Would you say, yes, it is getting that degree. Yes, it is getting that job. Yes, it is purchasing that stuff. Now, it might well be, and there's no doubt about that it's a huge part of it, but I think we all have this hunch or this sense that there's something more to happiness than just the stuff that we can accumulate or things that we can buy or stuff that we can get, right? And so if you were to, if you were to pass on the wisdom you've learned or the wisdom of your life to someone, what would you say? What I want to look at tonight is uh, a conversation in our New Testament between a guy at the older season of his life speaking to someone younger that he mentors. And it's the Apostle Paul. If you're new to church, you're not familiar with the Bible, the Apostle Paul essentially was a Christian killer. He hunted Christians down uh, in the first century AD until he himself met Jesus and he became the most passionate Jesus follower. And he wrote pretty much two thirds of what we now call our New Testament. And Timothy was the young man that he mentored. And so he kind of passed on all his wisdom and all his knowledge about not only faith, but leadership and all those things to Timothy. And writing to Timothy kind of at the end of his life, he speaks to Timothy about the stuff in his life or what he has and what it says about his life. And we read this in his first letter to Timothy. He says this, he writes, we, for we brought nothing into the world. Do you remember when you were born? What did you bring with you? Nothing. And we can take nothing out of it. We brought nothing into this world and you and I can take nothing out of it. Maybe you and I have gained a whole lot in our life. Maybe already, whatever age you are, you already have a whole lot of stuff that you think makes us happy. But ultimately, what Paul is teaching Timothy and I think what happy people know, what happy people would want you and I to know tonight is that happiness isn't something that you can take. It isn't just something you can pull off a shelf. It isn't something you can just purchase, something you can just buy. Happiness isn't something that you and I can take. And then he goes on, he carries on with his advice to Timothy and then he says this in the next verse. He says, those who, those who want to get, those who want to get, so not only about taking, but then getting, those who want to get rich, and I would say, arguably, the fact that you and I live in Australia in the 21st century, by global standards, we're rich, right? And if, depending on who you compare yourself to, you're very rich. You might compare yourself next to someone else and go, I'm not that rich. But in all honesty, you and I are very, very rich. And so, so those who want to get rich, he gives a warning. He says they fall into temptation and a trap and to, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Happy Valentine's Day, 
right? This is really positive, uplifting stuff for Sunday. But he's giving, he's giving this young guy, Timothy, a warning. And those of you that have ever really chased the dollar and have chased getting something and have pursued it hard, some of you have experienced this before. Some of you have fallen into this trap that chasing hard after getting rich. Some of you have experienced what it means to fall into ruin and destruction. So he gives a warning. Those who want to get rich, they can fall into this kind of trap. And so in other words, he's teaching Timothy. And again, this is something that happy people would tell us, that happiness isn't ultimately found at the end of something you get. So not only is it found in something you take, it's also not something you can just get. I want to get this. I want to get rich. I want to get stuff I want to get. And a life that is lived based of purely of what you get is kind of be like this box, you know, all the stuff I can get and accumulate and have and purchase and chase down. If that's all it's been to you, if happiness in your life has just been about stuff you can get, he gives a massive warning. And he uses this term like, you know, falling into a trap and a snare and despair. And why is that? Why does he give such a warning? Well, I'm learning this and I think there's, there's so much truth to this, that the moment your happiness is at the end of something you're hoping to get, something you're hoping to take, what ultimately you've done is you've outsourced your happiness. Because isn't it true? And certainly the last 12 months has reminded us of something. We already knew it, but the last 12 months has simply done a great job of reminding us of this, that you and I actually don't and will never get everything that we want. And so if your happiness is always at the end of getting something or getting that person or getting that one, you've outsourced it because you and I aren't in control of everything that we get in our life. And your life then will always be at the mercy of something that you will never have control of. And this is not only true with stuff and things we want to get, but hey, it's Valentine's Day, so let me touch on it briefly. This can also be true of our relationships. And if you are waiting to meet someone, come on, you got to hear me. If you're waiting to meet someone to make you happy, already you are putting far too much pressure on that someone. Because the purpose of a healthy and flourishing relationship is not that that other person would fulfill all your needs and would make you happy. That's an impossible expectation to put on another person. And if you are in a relationship here and if you're a married person here and you're hoping that the other person will fulfill all your needs and that person would make you happy, you're already, how's that working out for you, by the way, you know? You can't expect the other person to be the source of all your happiness. So if you're here waiting, it's Valentine's Day, I'm hoping that person, no, no, you've outsourced, you've already outsourced, you've neglected your responsibility in taking control of happiness for your own life. And so again, He's warning here and happy people would tell us, listen, don't buy into the lie that happiness is found. It's something you can get. So if you're going, if I just get the guy, if I get the girl, whatever it might be, then I'm happy. Paul would say, hold up there. Whoa, just chill for a second. And just when you thought Paul couldn't get any more real about this and go any more harder on this with his young son in the faith, Timothy, he takes it even further and he hits the nail right on the head. In the very next verse, he says this, for the love of money... <laughs> is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now let's just leave this slide up here for a second because I wanna take a moment to draw out some truth here that we can learn from. <clears throat> I wanna say something as real as I can, as sensitive as I can, but I, I don't wanna not address this. You know, the past 12 months, and we have heard story after story, 
of this, the past year has done a great job of piercing so many people's lives with so many kinds of griefs. And I know many of you are feeling it. I know it might be you personally or a loved one of yours where there's been loss, there's been a loss of a hope or loss of plans, um, maybe a dream, maybe there's something important that you are holding out for and it's been taken from you, whatever it might be. And so the last 12 months has done a great job of piercing all of our lives in one way or another, and some people more than others, with griefs. And as much as it's been a global issue, it's also been very personal for you. And there's been areas of your life where you've probably experienced the piercing of grief. And the truth is, as much as a lot of that, however, is out of our control, and we, can't, and we talked about this in our last series, Bold New World, we talked about there's so much that's out of our control. Because of that, the words here that Paul writes, I think, are pertinent for us to pay attention to. He warns, notice this, that last sentence there, he said about piercing themselves with many griefs giving a warning that depending on what you pursue, depending on where your love is, depending on what you're chasing, where you're finding your ultimate happiness, he says, be careful what you're doing there because you can pierce yourself with many griefs. And I think we've got to heed this warning because there is enough grief in the world right now that is piercing so many people's lives and the rates of mental anguish and heartache, people experiencing um, anxiety and depression in ways that they haven't experienced before. I mean, the, the numbers are astronomical and it's heartbreaking. And again, you don't need me to tell you this because you've experienced this or someone close to you is experiencing this. How much then should you and I pay attention to our role that we're playing in this? If there's so much that is out of our control that can pierce our life, far be it from us to adding to those griefs by, as the words of Paul, piercing ourselves with grief. I wonder how much of our griefs in our life has been by our own our own doings. And again, I'm not trying to be harsh about this. I'm just trying to be real about this. How much of the grief we're experiencing because of our own habits or our own pursuits or our own goals. And if we can pierce ourselves with many griefs, I wonder then if we can do something positive about it. I wonder what positive steps you and I can make and what decisions are in our hands. And I wonder what happy people would tell you and I about this. I think they would look at this and go, Paul's right. And happy people would tell us, be careful. Notice that first line. I think happy people would say, be careful what you give your love to. Be careful what it has your affection. Be careful what has all your desires. Be careful what you pursue. And notice this, this has often been misquoted and people have used this in the worst context before. They've often you've probably heard the quote, you know, money is the root of all kinds of evil. Well, that's incorrect. Money is just, it is what you make it. Paul said, it's not money that's a problem. It's the love of it. It's a sense that money has you and it's gripped your heart and you're pursuing it. You're pursuing getting and you're pursuing having more and more. And I think happy people would warn us, be careful what you chase. Be careful what you value. Be careful what you pursue. Be careful what you love. But then notice this other word that I've highlighted here. He talks about people who have wandered, people who have wandered from the faith. And this is a funny word here, but I think it's a word that's super important for us to wrestle with tonight because I found this time and time in my life, and maybe you have too, that wandering, wandering rarely leads somewhere fruitful. Let me explain, okay? I don't know if anyone's here into gardening. I found, I absolutely, I've fallen in love with gardening. I don't know how it happened, but I absolutely love it. So, um, but I quickly found this whole idea of when you wonder, it's kind of this idea of being unprepared or having no plan, just kind of being nonchalant. If you have that attitude with the garden, 
let me tell you, you no longer have a garden if that happens. The garden has you. Because if you've ever gone three months without taking any intention towards your garden, that lawn is now more than a lawn. It is a jungle. And weeds grow vicariously. Like you don't have to put in any effort for a garden to get out of control, right? So it's this wandering attitude, wandering you will find rarely leads anywhere fruitful. I mean, it's the same. Let's be honest, it's the same with our diet, right? You don't accidentally get a six pack. No one has ever, did, someone, did you just, Dan, did you say that? Well, actually, you know, no, right? So people go, how'd you get, well, you know, I just did. No, of course you don't. Wandering, right, rarely leads anywhere fruitful, okay? Uh, I find it's the same to be with a whole lot of other areas in our life. Um, take relationships, okay? If you have this wandering idea, just wondering, I have no plan, I have no intention, I'm not pursuing. How's that going in your relationship, right? It's, it's amazing how, um, so many tensions that relationship experience, the, 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 the facts are out. It's not be, most of it isn't because of one-off bad events. It's usually because there's been a death by a thousand paper cuts. That was really gruesome. And in other words, like a, a lot of neglect, a lot of little things over time. Again, it's a wandering. It can also be the same with our mental health. Yeah, no doubt about it. Things can happen that can leave a huge negative impact on, on our mental health. But also it can be the little things and if you're not intentional about what you're consuming, what you're watching, what you're reading, the environment you're in, the company you keep, right? If you're just kind of, again, wondering about that, have no plan about it, it can be degrading your mental well-being. So again, there's so much that could pierce us with griefs. Why would you let your own wondering add to the grief you're already experiencing by piercing yourself? And as much as it's true with all these things, I've found it's been huge in my life, probably more than anything else, this whole love of money issue. I've found the wandering has been the biggest when it has come to finance. And instead of us being in control of our finance, what can often happen is our finance then will be out of control. And just to be real for a moment, the majority of times in my life where I felt under a cloud of worry and at times I would 100% label it as been experiencing some genuine anxiety, keeping me up at night, my chest restricting, panic, cold sweat. Majority of the times I've experienced those things in my life have been because my finances have not been in control. I've just kind of had a wondering attitude about it. I haven't had a plan about it. I haven't been intentional about it. And usually if there's an area in our, usually if there's an area in our life where anxiety starts to poke its head, it's often a signal. And it's a signal that you haven't been intentional about an area in your life. There's been a wandering. It's a signal and you've got to pay attention to when it comes. Now, side note, okay, this, I'm not referring to at all uh, medical conditions of anxiety or where there's been or, or mental health illness. And if these are areas that you're experiencing or loved ones experiencing, we are huge believers in um, seeing, you know, seeing professionals and getting proper help around that. We totally believe in that and champion that. In fact, that's why in two weeks time we'll be talking to Dr. Chris Muller about that very thing. We really believe in this. But I'm talking about the things that are in our hands and about being intentional about what we do. And so if wandering rarely leads somewhere fruitful in these areas, what would happy people tell us? Well, happy people would tell us, you've got to have a plan. Happy people always have a plan. They've learned that wandering rarely leads somewhere fruitful. Having this nonchalant attitude rarely leads to something you're chasing in life. So happy people will tell you they have a plan, a plan. Now, let me just, because Paul's addressing this whole love of money issue. So let me talk to you just for a moment how this works with our finance and works with our money. 
A plan ensures that you know exactly what is happening with your money. It's the opposite of wondering, okay? And, and this wondering idea of kind of, I don't really, you know, the idea of plan, listen, we're talking about what it is to be happy, what happy people know. It's the word plan. For some of you right now, your eyes are rolling in the back of your head because you're like, that is the opposite of being happy. Like the moment someone talks about a plan, having a spreadsheet, doing a budget, like talk about joy kill. That is the worst thing ever. That is not fun. That is not happy. A plan makes me miserable. Just spend, do what I want. I don't want to have a plan for my finances. I see something, I want it. I got it, I need it. I, what, what's the song? I don't know, I've never heard it before. Willow was singing it the other day. <laughs> she wasn't, it's a joke. Um, she's four, come on guys. But because but usually it's like, I don't have the money, but I want it, it'll make me happy. So I know there's afterpay, afterpay's from hell. Or there's credit cards. I can't prove it in the Bible, but friend, I, no, he told me. Anyway, so, so we'll, buy, we'll buy stuff with money we don't have. Come on, just real talk for a second because we're like, this is stuff's gonna make me happy. But what did we learn? Happy people said, no, 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 no. Happiness is at the end of what you can take and it's not at the end of what you get. You got to have a plan. And so this is, this is what a plan looks like for people who are wondering with their finances. Let me show you right now. This is what it looks like. It's usually this, live, save, give. Meaning number one, you live first. You live, you just, I got my money. Even at times I don't have the money, but I'm still living and I'm going to spend and I'm going to buy and I'm going to purchase and I'm going to get the stuff that makes me happy and I'm going to eat out and I'm going to buy the shirt and I'm going to buy the shoes and I'm going to buy the plane ticket to... Mackay, wherever it is, we're holidaying, allowed to holiday these days. <laughs> Bagara, wherever it might be. That's actually not bad, Bagara. But, um, so we live and then by some miraculous chance, you have anything left over at the end of the week. Hey, I'm awesome. I saved. Check out the saving. This is amazing. And every now and again, someone will come along and guilt you into giving. It's like, oh, I feel really bad now. I should actually give some, something. Or someone... T- talks really convincingly about the importance of a good cause to give to. And you're like, you know what? I'm going I'm to give for just one coffee a week. You can invest. You know, I'm going to do that when give. Or it's usually then that person who's like standing at the front of Coles and is guilting you into giving to their cause, right? Do you care about kids that have been rescued down at the beach? Yes. No. Here's all my money, right? That's what it usually looks like. When you didn't have a plan, that's, that's usually your plan. There you go. You didn't know you had one, but you have one. But happy people they invert this. And this is usually what their plan when it comes to their finance looks like. They turn it around and it looks like this. They give first, save second, and then live off the rest. So it means right off the cuff, they recognize, hang on, I don't want my money to dictate my influence. I don't want money to dictate my worship. I don't want money to dictate what I do with my life. I don't want money to dictate the impact I'm leaving on the next generation. So right at the start, I am budgeting a percentage of everything I get and I'm setting it aside to be generous with and to give. And then because I care about my future and I care about being wise, I'm then going to budget as well. This is before I spend, before I pay, before I take, before I get and all those things. Then I'm going to save and then you can live off the rest. And I'm telling you, if you've never made this shift before, you can do it. Start small, but just start and begin it. And you will find you easily can live off the rest. You live within your means, right? And what happens is though, you're in control of your finance. It does not control you. And you've had a plan. And you refuse to wonder. And this, the beauty about this plan is it doesn't matter whether you feel you've got a little or a lot. You can make this plan with whatever you got. Give first, save second, live off the rest. So this is about having a plan. It's the opposite of wondering. But you know what else is the opposite of wondering? Paul's going to tell us. He lands this in his last little affirmation to Timothy. This is how he finishes up his little spiel here. 
He says, but you, man of God, but you, but you, woman of God, but you, follower of Jesus, but you, person who's in church for the first time, not even sure if God exists, whatever you is, okay? But you, man of God, flee from all this, right? So we've just read a whole lot of what not to do, right? Like happiness isn't found here, isn't found there, don't do this, blah, blah. He says, flee from all of that. Flee from the culture that says you need more and you've got to get and get into debt for it. He says, flee from it. Run to the hills from it. Don't buy into the lies that you need to get to be happy. He says, run from it. Don't fall for the lie that the love of money, you get money, you get happiness. He says, flee from it. But I want you to pursue righteousness. I want you to chase hard after righteousness. Now, what he's doing here, this is amazing. He's actually quoting Jesus. And in just a moment, I want to read Jesus' version of this sentence here about this idea of pursuing righteousness. But I love this because Paul is given all these practical um, applications for Timothy and for us to put in our lives. Very practical, a lot of things we can do. And then to conclude it, I love this, he points all of his attention to Jesus. He quotes Jesus and what Jesus has told us to pursue and to do with our life. And he was echoing something Jesus taught. And you know what's super important? Whenever you're feeling a sense of worry or fear, and it could even kind of mushroom into the feelings of anxiety in your life, I want to encourage you, don't leave Jesus as a last resort. He loves you. God is for you. And if you've ever felt like your world's caving in and you're been making some decisions that have been leaving you worse off, I don't want you for a moment to think that you can't turn to your heavenly father. He loves you and he's on your side. And let, as much as anxiety is a signal that something in your life is out of control, let it be a nudge that pushes you to Jesus. Let your anxiety in your pain, in your fear, let it push you to prayer. I'm telling you, I have learned this so often and I need to often be reminded of this. Anxiety is often just an unprayed prayer. And so if you're feeling this tonight, if your loved one's feeling this tonight, if maybe one of your kids are feeling this, however it might be, I want to ask you to do something. Would you prioritize, as Paul's encouraging Timothy here, to turn to God? And if you're someone here that's maybe never done that before and you're new to church, nothing is stopping you from trying this out. God loves you. He's for you. In fact, this might be the one way in which you find that God is real. And I don't mean, and just to talk real for a second, if you're a Jesus follower here, I don't mean just some token little prayer like, God, I'm worried here. I'm feeling anxious. Help me. And then moving on with your life and then going about whatever it is you're doing and digesting three hours of your phone at 3 a.m. in the morning, whatever it might be. No, no. I'm talking about be real about this for a moment. Like, be kind to yourself. Find a space where you can turn off a phone, be away from media and be alone with your heavenly father and go, God, I am struggling here. God, this is, I don't know what to do about this. I'm worried. This is keeping me up at night. I'm telling you, there's been so many times where I felt fear, anxiety, keep me up and I'm freaking, I'm like, that's it. I've gotten out of bed. I've gone downstairs, I've lit a candle, I've poured a glass of wine, got some bread, had communion and just thank Jesus for who he is. And I start to create an environment and I, Thank God until I feel like I believe it. And I start praying God until I feel like my thoughts have shifted off what I don't have into who is for me, whatever it might be. I'm telling you, 
God knows how you're wired. For some of you, you need to go for a walk on the beach. For some of you, you need to do that with your spouse. Hold hands and go, look, we've been fighting about this. We've been stressing about this. Let's go and pray about this. I mean, I'm telling you, particularly the finance thing, the number one issue that couples will argue about, and it's certainly been true in my marriage, has been around finance. There's something to do with the stress and the pressure that comes from it that's unlike anything else, which is why I think Paul's giving the warning about the love for money. So Chloe and I, my wife, we made a, a promise to each other early in our marriage after every single conversation about finance. And it's always difficult because you're budgeting. It means you're saying no to some things that you want now because you want it later. And all, all the difficulty that comes with it, you realize you don't have as much as you wanted or you couldn't buy what you wanted, whatever it might be. We finish the conversation every time. We hold our hands and we pray and we thank God He's for us. We thank God He's with us. We thank God that He's our provider. We refuse to let the worry of not having enough or not getting enough set the tone of our lives. And I'm telling you, you've got to do something about that. And what Paul would say is turn to Christ and don't outsource it. Don't ask someone else to do it for you. Do it for yourself. Go for a walk, hit a trail, go for a run, run an ultra. I don't mind what you've got to do to feel like you get your head out of the funk. Do it because your heavenly Father is for you. Did I just say funk on stage? Yes, bring it back. You've got to be careful with that word though, don't you? It's a bit close. <laughs> In other words, right, our faith is birthed by who we look to, who we look to. And anxiety always wants you to get looking at what's the problem. Faith is birthed when you look at Christ. Now, he turns him, so here's the thing, this is what's amazing. When we turn to Christ, no doubt about it, when we look to Him, He meets us there. And He's a God who graces us with His peace and His joy. He brings healing. God meets us in our distress. It's amazing. But other times when you turn to God, and this is what Paul's doing with Timothy, he's turned his attention to Jesus where Jesus taught about something to do. Because often when we turn to God for His help, what He'll turn back to us and say is, I have given you something to do. And so while our faith is birthed by who we look to, our faith is outworked by the things that we do. And so to land tonight, I want to look at one thing that Paul, Paul highlighted what Jesus told me. I'm going to look at what Jesus said, what Jesus has told us to do to help us here because because often we like to outsource our responsibility to God and God's like, look, I'm for you. I'm going to help you. But there's some stuff I've asked you to do. It's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know if you say grace, if anyone says like grace before a meal. You know, that culture and that tradition, some of you might do that. Um, Chloe and I, like we do it, but most of the time, this is just being real for a second, most of the time, we put both the kids down and we've got like 20 minutes until probably one of them's gonna wake up. We have a meal, we sit down and we watch like 20 minutes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Just sit, hold hands, go, dear God, thank you for this food, amen. Okay, that's most of the time, great. But every now and again, like we'll take time and you know, we'll have a really nice, you know, we'll take it, you know, we'll do the, the whole thing and have a really great grace. And we'll take our time. But my favorite thing, I, and Chloe doesn't mind me sharing this story. I love doing this because it annoys, it makes her laugh. Um, <laughs> we'll go out to somewhere that, like the like fast food kind of place, right? A place that's not really, like you're not really having a meal. And I'm like, let's say grace. Just like, no, you can't, like, you can't say grace. Nothing's going to bless this, Johnny. Like you can't. Have, for example, have you ever sat down to a bucket of KFC? And it's like, dear God, I just pray that you would nourish this food to our bodies. I feel God's there going, mate, prayer ain't even going to help you while you eat that. Like that's on you, you know? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so, 
Okay, so that worked by what we do. Okay, so, so here's, here's what Jesus says about this. Okay, this is what Paul was quoting or rather paraphrasing. And Matthew records it. Matthew's, uh, this, was his this was his biography of Jesus' life. He was writing to a Jewish audience. And here's what he recorded Jesus saying. Jesus said, blessed are those. No, no, go back, go back. Don't go to, go to it yet. There's a reason. I don't want to give away the secret too quick. Um, now this term bless here, there's actually better definition in English for it. The original word that's used is actually, it's actually the word that we get, happy. So Jesus does this whole sermon, one of his most famous sermons, where he literally talks about what happy people know. And so he's about to say it, he's about to say, you know, happy people are those who, right? Bless are those who. So if you want to be happy, you should be sitting up straight right now, paying attention, leaning in, going, here's the secret. Like the master himself has given us an insight to what it means to be happy. Now you can go to the next slide. Blessed are those or happy are those who hunger and thirst. Here's that word again. For righteousness, for they will be filled. So he doesn't use the word pursuit. He uses this imagery of being hungry and thirsty. Listen, if you've ever been hungry or thirsty, you know it, right? You're either gonna be hangry or you're pursuing food right somewhere. And this is what Jesus is saying, this, this imagery of being hungry and thirsty, what you're pursuing, what you're truly passionate about. And he's saying, listen, the blessed state or the happy state is a result of hunger and thirsting. Thirsting? Help me out here, English teachers. Thirsting? For righteousness. For they will be filled. So let me put in the negative. Essentially what Jesus is saying here is don't chase happiness. Don't chase happiness. Don't chase happiness. Happiness will be the result of something else. Don't chase happiness. In fact, Jesus was way ahead of His time in teaching us this. In fact, about 1,950 years later, an incredible psychologist known as Viktor Frankl, who was a Jewish Holocaust survivor. He was in Auschwitz and he survived. And in the year after he, World War II ended, he wrote down his own dissertation uh, uh, that he learned during his time in the prison camps. And it's a book called Man's Search for Meaning, a remarkable book. It carries weight still today and I encourage you to read. I quote from it quite often because it's really impacted my life. But he writes about happiness. Again, this is the year after he got out of the Holocaust camp, survived and now helping other people to find meaning in their life. He writes this about happiness. He says, it is a very pursuit of happiness that swats, 100% incorrectly pronounce that, that swats happiness. What does that word even mean? Swartz. All right. <laughs> Undermines, destroys. Okay. It's a very pursuit of happiness that sh swartz. <laughs> I don't know. I got, a, I got a lisp on the best today. This is the worst. Here's my beef with having a lisp. Why is the word lisp lisp? Am I right? Where's all my lisp people out there? Help me out. No? Okay. I don't blame you. Anyway, he says, the very pursuit of happiness. It's, in other words, he's saying this, and he goes on to say, because there is, this, there is this underlying idea that feeling happy should be our default. And it's this idea that I should always feel happy. And if that's your idea, that I should always feel happy, and you're always trying to feel happy, well, because you don't always feel happy, it then reproduces this feeling of unhappiness because you're not always happy. So he says it's a, it's a perpetuating toxic cycle. The pursuit of happiness, it ruins it for you. And he goes on and says this, happiness cannot be pursued, it must ensue or it must follow. And it, this is the key. It only does so as the unintended, notice that word, the unintended side effect of one's dedication to a greater cause. 
saying, if you really want happiness, forget about it. Whereas the Italians would say, forget about it. Forget about it. They wouldn't. New Yorkans would say that. But I'm Italian, so. But he's saying, don't worry about that. Don't worry about happiness for a moment. It'll follow, right? It'll, one day you'll turn around. If you notice it's unintended, right? So if you dedicate your life to something greater than the feeling of happiness, something of meaning, something of purpose, something that makes a difference. Stop chasing things that are going to make you happy. He says, don't worry about it. And then one day you turn around and be like, huh, I'm happy. I wasn't even chasing it. There was no formula for it. I didn't, it wasn't my goal. My goal was to do something meaningful. I was dedicated to a greater cause. And next minute, so what did Jesus say that greater cause was? Well, it's that word that keeps coming up. Righteousness. Blessed are those or happy those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, Jesus was a Jew. He was teaching other Jews at this time. In fact, Matthew's gospel was written to a Jewish audience. They had a Hebrew background, a Hebrew culture. And this word righteousness, and with all my heart, I believe this is what Jesus was trying to get across to people. This word, I'm going to definitely pronounce this word correctly. In Hebrew is the word sadaka. Did I pronounce that correctly? Thanks, guys. Which means, notice this, to serve or to be generous. Isn't that fascinating? So he's saying, happy are those or blessed are those who hunger and thirst after sadaka, who hunger and thirst to, thir- to serve and to be generous, for they are the ones who will be filled. Now, this is the term sadaka is where we kind of get that old word charity, or obviously we know it's being generous. But even today, you go to a Jewish synagogue anywhere in the world and they will have a sadaka box at the back of the auditorium, kind of near the entrance door. And when people enter, before they go into worship, they'll give to it and all the money is there to be used to help people in need or feeding the poor, whatever it might be, right? So this is like right at the heart of this whole idea of being blessed, of being happy. And more than that, I think it's fascinating that Jesus shared this because, because we know that Jesus, and this is spoken well, a bunch of other times to all our New Testaments, He was the righteousness of God. But if you see righteousness through this lens to serve and be generous, it makes a whole lot of sense because that's exactly a picture of Jesus. In fact, it was Jesus Himself that says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life. It's a ransom for many. So Jesus literally was the embodiment of righteousness. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, I feel that this is what Jesus is trying to tell us by, hey, if you want to be happy, I want you to hunger and thirst after sadaka to serve and be generous, and then you'll be fulfilled. And happy people will tell you that. In other words, he's saying this, happiness isn't something we seek to get. Happiness follows when we seek to give. Happiness is not something that you and I, and again, Paul's warning this and Jesus is teaching this and Dr. Victor Frankl was teaching us this like 70 years ago. Happiness isn't something you pursue. Happiness isn't something you seek to get. It follows when you and I seek righteousness, to be generous, to serve, to give, and to pour our life out in recognition of how Jesus illustrated with his own life. And I tell you what, I've been learning in my own life that this idea of chasing of gaining, of buying, of getting to fill my life, to get to the end of my life and have a big bucket filled with stuff that has made me happy. I've quickly learned and learning still that actually it's not that. It's actually the longer I live, I wanna do this. 
I want to start not filling my bucket, but I want to empty it. I am so believed that our Heavenly Father cares about whether we're happy. I really feel He does. He loves us. He's a good Father. And He's given us a secret for it. It's forget about happiness. Think of something bigger, a greater cause. Pursue something greater than that. Pursue righteousness. And I realize instead of spending my life filling up my bucket, you and I get the chance to empty our buckets. Because as Paul said right at the beginning, we came into the world with nothing and we take nothing with us. And I want to encourage you with your life. This is it. This is your one shot. Don't fall for the lie that somehow a happy life is based on filling this with stuff, things you get. Jesus would teach a happy life, a life where you look back and say, oh, it's happy. It's a life that pours out everything that you've got. It's recognizing that you have gifts, that you have time, that you have talent, that you have treasure, that you have an opportunity. Spend your life pouring out what your heavenly Father has freely given you. Freely you've received it. So freely give. Jesus probably put it most direct when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Not as if to say that getting stuff doesn't make us happy. Of course I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that for a second. The stuff we have in our life is a blessing and it's awesome and we should be super grateful for it, right? But he said, it's more blessed. It'll make you more happy than anything you could get. It's when you learn to give. It's more blessed to give. Who's it more blessed for? Everyone. When you live a life that's not about what you can get, but it's about what you can give, it's not just more blessed for you, it's more blessed for those around you. It's more blessed for your marriage. It's certainly more blessed for your children. It's more blessed for your neighbours. It's more blessed for your generation. It's more blessed for the community here. It's more blessed for the generation you're part of. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And the reason I want to, I wanted to kind of add this idea about giving when it comes to the conversation about happiness because it's something I wrestled with big time. And I was reminded about this, funnily enough, last week. And I'll finish with this story. Um, I was down in Canberra um, for our kind of like our unofficial launch of our Canberra location there uh, with Caleb and Eleanor who do an amazing job. And it was just so great to be there. Um, thanks for those of you who have already started financially contributing, investing into it. Man, we are going to make such an impact for years to come in the city of Canberra. And who knows what other kind of difference we can make uh, having a church based right there in the heart of the capital of Australia. So being there on the weekend, seeing all the people that rocked up, uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience. There was so much to celebrate about it. And, and um, it was just the best day. And talking with Caleb and Eleanor afterwards, many of you know Caleb and Eleanor, they're an incredible couple, young couple in their early 20s. And I was like, how'd you guys find the day? What'd you think? And with all the things we're celebrating, he said the one disappointment he had, the one disappointment was that there weren't uh, more people from the community because pretty much anyone who'd been on the peripheral of kind of the church there way back in the day all came. So we had about 50 people there, which was pretty cool. But he's like, I looked around and he goes, there were no new faces. And we'd like put up signs and a letterbox drop box, you know, letterbox drops and all these things. And it was the only bummer he had about the day. Like, I just wish there were more people that came from the community. We put all this effort in, we put it. And I said to him, you know what, bro? That's out of your control. You can't control who comes. We're not in the business of controlling people. We do our best to invite, but we can't determine how many and who comes. But what you can determine, you nailed you made an amazing environment. 
You made sure every person who came here had an incredible experience. You valued people, you loved people, you served people. We were generous to the people who came. Every people that came had the best time. The stuff that was in your control, your ability to give, you nailed it right on the head. And I was thinking about when I first started out as a pastor, almost seven years ago here. And in that first year or two, man, did I have some big, big battles in my mind. And this is just me trying to be as real as I can. There was so much that I wanted to get in this role. And it, I'm saying it wasn't from a malicious or evil heart or anything, but it's just, I saw other guys who were in a similar race to me and I saw what they had and I wanted that too. And so I quickly started finding that my fulfillment, I was looking at the wrong stuff. My fulfillment was coming from, I wanted to get more numbers. I wanted to get more accolades. I wanted to get more wins more success, and all these things to get. Now there weren't bad things to get. Again, these aren't bad, right? But it's where I was looking for my fulfillment. It's where I was looking for my happiness. And I got caught, in the words of Paul, in a trap. I became moody, impatient, and before long, if I didn't deal with it, it's like this permanent dark cloud rested over my head. It was like I was wearing sunnies all the time that cast shadow or shade over everything. I'd lost sleep over it. I ended up losing weekends over it. I would stew over the things I didn't have and didn't achieve and what I wasn't doing, where I lacked. It ate up all my confidence. It stole all my joy. It silenced my influence. And I became a horrible person to be around. Thank God that um, I had someone like Chloe in my life to give me some real truth to remind me of what was most important, where my happiness truly was. When I realized what I was doing, I realized where I allowed my thoughts to go wrong and where I allowed this, uh, my fears to get the better of me. Once I discovered this, I decided I'm going to change. I've got to change. I've got to do something different. So here's what I did. I straight away, instead of looking for what I could get, I started looking at what I could give. And I started where the people I used to look at and compare myself to and lose sleep over and get upset about, I looked for people then that I could give to. And I found people who were serving God somewhere or being generous somewhere or doing something great. And I would find ways to bless them and encourage them instead of waiting for people to call me and say, you're awesome, Jono. I was like, I'm gonna call other people and tell them that they're awesome. I was gonna look for people to bless. I started pursuing people that I knew were doing the hard yards and call them up or send them a gift or write them a letter or go visit them. And said, I just wanna say, you are doing great. Can I help you at all? And I started to change the narrative about where my happiness came from. Rather than looking for affirmation from what I could get and from other people, I started finding out what I could give to other people. And so my whole world started changing where I wanted to get my fulfillment based on what I could give. And I tell you, it's been one of the most helpful and hopeful changes that I've ever made in my life, finding a way to serve and finding a way to give. And so I got my phone out and every single morning, the first thing that comes up on my phone is a reminder. And it was a philosophy change that happened in my heart back then. It's this, don't worry about how much, Jono. Worry about how well, because we can't control how much. We can't control how much promotion you get, how much recognition you get, how much money. You get. We can't control because that's often out of our control, but we can control how well we love. We can't control how well we're generous, how well we serve, how well we encourage. We can't control that. And so every day I make the decision, I'm not gonna worry about how much, I'm gonna worry about how well. And if you commit yourself to that greater cause, to hunger and thirsting after righteous thirsting, after righteousness, and after being generous and giving, you know what will may, maybe follow? It's one day I might turn around and go, wow, I'm actually kind of happy. 
but that's not what I was chasing. And I wonder if it could be the same for you too. So the question I wanna leave you with is, are you worried about the wrong thing? Are you losing sleep? Are you getting anxious over something that's actually out of your control anyways? Flip the script. Take your cues from Jesus. Take your cues from the Apostle Paul. Don't think you're gonna find what you're looking for at the end of something you can take or get or pursue or earn or buy. Flip the script and go, how can I spend my life, the life my Heavenly Father has given me and pour it out until I've given every part of me. And so one day we'll get to the end of our life and someone will say, how is it that you're happy? What is it that you got that I've got to get? And you'll say, it's not about getting, it's about giving. And that's what I reckon happy people know. Heavenly Father, tonight, it means the world to us that you care about our story, care about our lives. I'm super conscious right now that you're aware of the people here that are sitting and actually struggling with areas in their mental world and their thoughts. Some of them are being struggling for a long time. And I'm asking tonight, Holy Spirit, that you'd help people and meet them right where they're at. And for those of us that have forgotten this incredible truth that we've seen in Christ, would you remind us tonight that the value we have to give to the world and to contribute to the world. Those of us who have believed a lie, help us to lead, lean into the truth. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.